correctly with the correct amount. D20 Radio, where gamers roll. radiocom Welcome to Me and Steve Talk RPGs, a podcast where me and my friend Steve try and help you get the most out of your role-playing game experience. Welcome back to Me and Steve Talk RPGs, folks. And this week, it's going to be a fun one. I'm here today with my friend Steve, as always. Howdy. And we are joined uh, extremely long distance, even via the internet, from someone who I believe we managed to pry away from his Vegemite to uh, <laughs> come talk with us. So, GM Hooli, if you would say hello. Hello, Gaming Nation. Yes, boys, um, you have dragged me away from my Vegemite. Um, <laughs> Vegemite is better on toast with cheese, but that's a, a bit of a trick for uh, the beginners. Um, and, um, I have not used the Barbie, nor have I used any shrimp lately. So, uh, <laughs> that's pretty much covered all of the, uh, stereotypes for Australia as I open up a can of Foster's. Not <laughs> that stuff tastes terrible. <laughs> uh, I've actually had Vegemite, so, uh, oh, very good. Very good. can't say it was the tastiest thing, although I'm told that you all tend to apply it much thinner than than most of those of us who are uneducated and try it. <laughs> Pretty much. I mean, most people, when they try it, they sort of take it in a big spoonful, and it's just like, and that, <laughs> that's never going to happen. That's just disgusting. But, yeah. Uh, it's not too bad on sandwiches and, and whatever else, but, yeah, mixing it with anything else, I just can't do. <laughs> in any case, uh, yeah, well, you... You know, we we figured we'd have you on since we're kind of, you know, making the rounds and you're rather well versed in RPGs and so forth. So we figured we'd have you on. And we also figured that while we had you, we'd have you promote your own show because you're also part of the D20 Podcast Network. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I run uh, as a co-host with my friend GM Chris. We uh, run the Forge, a Genesis RPG podcast, which by the name, you can tell we talk a lot about the Genesis RPG. We uh, focus on the sort of the behind the scenes side of things of the game, how to design your own settings, um, talk about the rules a little bit more uh, and have a deep dive into those sorts of things. We also talk to special guests from the industry um, that can help people uh, with their own work and uh, get them involved in uh, the Foundry, which is a great place if you are into Genesis, which uh, if you're not, why the hell not? Uh, <laughs> if, um, the Foundry basically has a whole heap of settings, whole heap of rule supplements and whatever else that you can download straight off Drive-Thru RPG. So, uh, so yeah, that's us. <laughs> and, and your show, to be honest, while well, well, you focus... On Genesis, I've mined a lot of stuff that just applies to RPGs in general, listening to you guys. Yeah. Or if you want to write stuff, I remember the layout episode you did with Katrina Ostrander was like mind-blowing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That was a big eye-opener for me as well. And I mean, Katrina's been in the industry for quite a few years now. And any time that we have any of our special guests that come on from whether it be FFG or whether it be, be one of the editors who's worked for FFG, just tapping into their brain and uh, learning how things are done. Uh, you know, we, we've all been there back in, in high school or whatever else when you're opening this book and you just think, who are these magical people that are <laughs> somewhere that are like writing this stuff that I can have so much fun with? That, uh, you know, they're real people. They're real dudes like us. That uh, and do that. See if you want to look at that's very, very bad English. Anyway, <laughs> like Katrina. Uh, but um, yeah, it's uh, we talk a lot about content that isn't necessarily just applicable to Genesis. Um, I mean, I, I do a bit of writing for uh, or have done for FFG for Legend of the Five Rings, uh, and I've also um, been doing some stuff for Edge, which I can't talk about. But, um, you know, it's uh, it, it, we'd like to cover a whole heap of stuff so that it's not just applicable. So I'm glad you picked up on that. And uh, I'm glad it's helped 
your games, which is great. Well, I think that thing though, to go off on a tangent before we even get started on the main topic, but I think that's the thing <laughs> that a lot of people don't really get with, with RPGs is that so much of what you pick up doesn't apply to just one game. Once, you know, like I've said before, once you learn how to run a RPG, it's mm. so much re- easier to run any RPG. Absolutely. Um, I mean, uh, with being a game master, um, you know, a game master in Call of Cthulhu is really no different than being a, a GM for Genesis or for uh, DM in D&D. Uh, the basics are still the same. You've still got player management. You've still got, um, you know, managing the table, um, making sure that the the story points are getting hit so that they, the PCs can continue on. And realistically, you just got to learn a new system. That's all that it is. So I agree with you 100%, 100%. Yeah, that's been one of our core tenets for a long time is that our goal is to help with getting that core toolkit together for new or even experienced GMs so that they can transfer that between games. Because just like you said, it doesn't really matter what game you're playing. It's it's the core storytelling is going to be the same. It's just that you have to have understanding of the system itself. And, yeah. and that's been something that we've really pushed for for a long time because, you know, that's something that I've had conversations with people that they're like, I don't know how I, I don't know if I can run Call of Cthulhu. I'm like, well, have you DM'd before? Yeah, you can run Call of Cthulhu. Like, <laughs> <laughs> one of the big differences I think that most people sort of back away from when they've GM'd in the past is that theme of the setting that they're playing in. You know, it's uh, there is a little bit of a difference between, you know, a dungeon crawl and a horror mystery. So, uh, you know, the, that's the reason why I think that people back away from that as much as possible, uh, because they are afraid to, well, can I do this story justice? So, uh, so yeah. And I, I, think, I think a lot of that comes to if you have a passion for that type of story, like if, if nobody's pushing you, oh, man. You know, you have to run Call of Cthulhu, even though you're not a not a horror fan. You know, if nobody's pushing you to do it and you have a passion for that type of story, you can do it justice because you yeah. know what you want to see in that type of story. So just apply it. Mm, absolutely. And I think that's the thing that people are afraid of. Uh, and I think that any GM who's out there who has been asked to run a game that they're not necessarily familiar with, and that's not just the rules, but the genre, that they challenge themselves. You know, there have been times where, uh, when it comes to writing, for example, but my weak point is equipment. So whenever, it, when anybody asks me to design equipment or, or look at gear um, in any way, shape or form, I'm going, oh, I don't think that I can do this justice. But at the end of the day, I have to push myself forward to, to really get that product completed. And I think that the same sort of applies to GMing. Just treat it as a challenge. You know, if you're GMing, people are going to appreciate the fact that you're GMing anyway, let alone, uh, the, you know, there's, there's that meme that goes out where this person who's stranded on an island and um, they put in big letters looking for group. Um, and all these planes <laughs> are flying past them. But uh, as soon as they put um, yeah, GM willing, suddenly all these people are coming to rescue them. Um, <laughs> it's, it's, it is the case. People, for whatever reason, don't want to take that next step into GMing. And I think that that's an important thing that it's almost like a rite of passage for a player to be GMing. I've been fairly lucky in that regard. I took that leap way early in the piece. And so I've pretty much been you know always gm but and i'm a terrible player anyway um, <laughs> and, uh, you know I, I think that if you take that leap you're going to be more satisfied your players are going to be satisfied anyway because they're playing and it, it's uh, it'll be you know a lot of fun i think even if you step up it's still a lot of fun well, and the thing is too, and like specifically, you know, like I had this conversation on our discord, uh, I don't know, last week, I think someone was talking about wanting to run Cthulhu, but they don't feel comfortable with the lore. And I said, well, here's the thing specifically with call of Cthulhu is the game about weird, unnatural stuff. Mm-hmm. So who cares about the lore? It's just weird, unnatural <laughs> stuff. It doesn't have to make sense. 
This is very true. <laughs> it's, it's kind of like in D and and I know that um, you aren't, you guys aren't necessarily a fan, and don't worry, neither am I. Um, <laughs> although I play D and I run D and D. We do as well. Uh, yeah, but, we um, play it and run it. So, <laughs> but the thing is, is that when it comes to D and D, when people say, "Well, why does this happen?" Well, magic. It's kind of like with Star Wars. You know, well, how is this possible? The Force. And you don't need an explanation other than that up <laughs> the time. I think one of the things, and, and I can understand where somebody would get tripped up by Call of Cthulhu because, and this isn't ragging on Call of Cthulhu as a book, but when you when you get a book, and I talked about a little bit when we had Sugi on, but I've gotten to this point in, in my jamming career, my, my like game playing lifetime, where I'll buy a book, not necessarily because I care about the setting. Now I will buy books for their setting and don't get me wrong, but I'll buy a book, not necessarily because I care about the setting, but because tonally or mechanically this fits a need I have. So like mm. twilight 2000, that's a really cool setting. I don't care so much about that more of, I want a book that's going to run a war story really well. Yeah. That's yeah. what that's built for. You know, mm. call of Cthulhu does, dark and brooding really well. Perfect. I, I do a lot of not necessarily specifically the setting, but more of I can grab this and throw majority of the setting out, but keep the tonal notes and play it the way I want to play it. Yeah. And, and that's where I'm at in my, like, I get, I don't know what you want to call it. Lifetime gaming career, <laughs> whatever, whatever you want to call it. Yeah, um, makes sense. But look, I've been gaming for, coming up to 35 years and i still hate running horror um mainly because it's not i'm not a big horror fan but uh, i'll run thrillers and uh, mysteries until the end of time because i love intricate webs of deceit and blackmail and and uh, whatever else um to uh, to make a really good drama and that's only because i've watched bucket loads of neighbors and home and away as a kid but for those who don't know that's a soap here in australia <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, but uh, like a, a show for example like um uh, once upon a time mm -hmm. that was uh, we've just binged watched the whole of that i watched like seasons one to five i think and then for whatever reason didn't manage to get back to it but the kids really liked the first couple of episodes so we've binge watched all seven seasons over the course of about the last six months and um it's uh that sort of drama is in a magical setting but there's all sorts of this person's related to this person and this plot twist and, and that's the sort of stuff that i love to do mm -hmm. but if i was asked to run a horror i think that um I, i'd still love to do it but uh, I wouldn't necessarily feel 100% comfortable because it's not, that's not my zone. But uh, yeah. No, that, that makes a lot of sense. And, and I think horror possibly is, is one of the more challenging genres to run just because horror is different to everyone as they experience it too, you know? Yeah, to, to elaborate on that a little bit, what I find horrifying, you know, like, graphic horror doesn't hit me as hard. It's the existential horror, but somebody might find graphic horror very terrifying. You know, it, 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 there is horror is such a, you know, my friends are movie buffs. And so we've had serious discussions about what separates a thriller from a horror movie. Well, that's just a designation in the rule book. Like <laughs> a, a thriller is just a horror movie for different horror fans, you know? Ooh. Yeah. Look, one of the things that um, sort of when it comes to horror, horror, I think, is a very individual thing that it's something that might be horrific to one person may not be. Um, a, a good example of that is that I can talk about um, uh, dead bodies and, and things like that until the end of time because I used to be a police officer years and years ago. And there isn't a thing that I don't think that I haven't seen from the, you know, the bad end of society. But, you know, if I was to bring that into something with someone who's never been exposed to that, it doesn't affect me, but it may affect them. And this is the, the line that I think you, you walk when it comes to horror. And I think you have to be very, very particular before you run horror in either a session zero or whatever else to find out what people's limitations are. 
because there are some things that may trigger people that you just have to be really mindful of. Yeah. You know, we've, yeah. we've all got those experiences that we don't ever talk about, um, you know, unless you're actually seeking help in that regard. But there is going to be things in your life, even if you have dealt with them, that are going to trigger some memories that may add to that horror. Now, if that doesn't affect you and you raise that at the time, great. I'm certainly going to be using that to an extent, being mindful of everybody else at the table as well. But it, it is one of those things that you just have to be very, very careful for, I think. I I agree completely. And and safety tools are one of the big things that we advocate for is at the table, if there's something that crosses a line, mm. X cards are great to have. We're setting up before you even get started. Hey, you know, this is too far for me. I don't want to deal with any of these type issues. We, we've started implementing those into our games. Um, now, granted, I think with us, it's a little bit different because we've played with the same group or like I play with my friends or we play with friends of ours. So it's a little bit harder for us to go. The, the lines are already been defined, but if you're playing with a new group, defining those lines is very important. And, and even if you're playing for an existing group, you're saying you're changing genre completely. Defining a line not to cross is, is something that you really have to do. Mm -hmm. And this is why I think that, uh, and I know that this was, you know, throwing back to your first episode, but when it comes to session zero, these are the sorts of things that need to be raised every single time that you start, especially with a new group, as things are opening more up, as we sort of get on top of, of COVID in particular. You know, you, you're talking to new people because your other groups may have, uh, have broken down or whatever else. But also in the, in the online sense, because there's a lot of stuff that gets missed out, especially if you're just doing it via voice because you're not actually able to see people a lot of the time. Yeah. So you you are going to have instances where you've just got to be really, really careful of that. And this is a, something that uh, I've had plenty of conversations about with people who've wanted to run convention games, that a convention game, because it's, it's a one-shot by nature, you've got to be that extra careful and make sure that when it comes to the blurb that you might have um, in your event catalogue, that it lists those things that may be of that that are potentially going to be problematic to right. uh, to your audience, uh, because you know the last thing you want to have is that there's going to be something to do with you know dismemberment or something like that, and you know somebody's actually been through that and they're not aware of it. So you've really got to, and I guess this goes back to another episode that you guys were doing, um, talking about expectations. And I know that that's something that I've gone on a lot about, is you have to set the expectations at the start of the game um, so that everybody's on the same page, basically. Yeah, that, that really can be such a, a big thing, you know, to, to make sure that everybody's, yeah, did, did you all know what you want out of a game? It's so much easier to then actually get it. Yeah, agreed, agreed. That was a big tangent. <laughs> Welcome. Hey, you've listened to our podcast. You know that's that's life here. Yes. That was, we don't acknowledge it, all right? that's You're breaking the fourth wall on this show. <laughs> the original name of the show was Tangent Land. Yeah. <laughs> yeah we... um, but in any case, I think we had talked about this briefly, that we were going to try and talk about Kind of like, I, I don't know how to say it the best way, but maybe how do you pick what game you're going to play? Mm. And I mean that in a context, not just of, you know, be it, so you want to play a, we'll say cyberpunk. And I'm just pulling that out because just so happens that just yesterday, I mm -hmm. finally picked up a hard copy of Cyberpunk Red. Right. And sitting arms within arm's reach of where I am right now, I have Cyberpunk Red, I have Cyberpunk 2020, and I have Shadow of the Beanstalk. Uh, good choice. <laughs> <laughs> so, but like, so, but you know, how do you go about, or how, how would one go about, you know, you want to play whatever genre, you know, how do you go about picking what you want to play it in? Mm, as far as that, I think that, when it comes to cyberpunk in particular, there are certainly more systems out there that, that play with that genre as well. Uh, I mean, if you're into, um, what is it called? Um, it's not called Battle Master. I just refer to it as, or oh, Rollmaster. I mm -hmm. just refer to it as Tartmaster. Master. 
or that yes. <laughs> where you need some sort of degree just to um, start a character. But you've also got GURPS as well that has um, some cyberpunk type supplements that you can go out and buy as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a lot of it I think is going to be dependent on two things. The first one is your familiarity with the system. Because if you're familiar with the system, that's more time that you can spend getting together the story. And I think that that can't be emphasized enough. And, and um, Steve, the other night I was talking to you, pick which one. Um, <laughs> but uh, it, it, for me, it's a case of that I will spend 20 hours, you know, 30 hours setting up the campaign for a start with all the locations and, and all of the NPCs and what relationships connect to who. And that's after session zero. So there may be a, a fairly lengthy time between session zero and actually playing where I'll set up the world and do all the world building. And then I will take, depending on what system I'm obviously running, I will then take less time preparing for each session mm-hmm. so that I concentrate on the story that's going on and how what the PCs do is going to affect everybody else in the campaign. So if I'm familiar with that system, it's going to make it easier to do that. But to go back to your question, I think that there are certainly games that do things better purely because of their mechanics that are contained within the game. Uh, the best example of that is, is Call of Cthulhu. That, uh, and there is another example, and I'll get onto that in a tick, but Call of Cthulhu, it has that sanity rules that's hard-boiled into it that makes it so much better that if the PCs are coming across something that is uh, horrific, to harken back to our um, previous conversation, that that is going to be an easier thing to implement when it comes to running the game and and what happens to people as they slowly go insane. Um, Another example of that would be the original version of Deadlands, that you've got poker chips and playing cards as part of your resolution of mechanics and and just the way that the game flows that to me thematic <laughs> i actually remember that from when i was in college somebody had the original and and deadlands has always kind of intrigued me but i i really want to find the old version not the modern savage worlds version yeah the the original version use this whole sort of it it bought into the whole thematic play and i know that when we played it we played it on a small round table and you know we were encouraged to wear big hats and uh, and whatever (laughs) else uh not as a larp but just to add to the theme and it was uh it it allowed people to get into the their roles and get into the story more so than, you know, that it, it goes down to something that you guys talked about in an earlier episode about buy-in, that they're, they're enabling themselves to get into that theme. And when you're playing in cards, it's almost like you're playing poker. And so, again, you're getting into that theme of, uh, you know, steamboats and, and whatever else. So, uh, so yeah, they're, they're the two sort of prime examples that I think that uh, when it comes to a, for um, horror, Cthulhu is it when it comes to uh, any sort of westerns. I think that uh, Deadlands is uh, is certainly the most appropriate. I obviously want to get it on a table and actually try it. I do want to try Dread at some point, which I don't know if you're familiar with Dread. <laughs> Dread is the one runoff of a Jenga tower. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and the reason I say that is because I wonder, and I, I don't know if, I hope it's good, I should say. And I hope it's not just a, a really gimmicky game, because if it isn't, then it might go as my go-to for suspense and horror, because Jenga is a suspenseful game as it is, and adding that extra twist to an RPG is a good, I don't know, I like that. I think that's interesting. Um Ooh. But I, I have a player that, that keeps bugging me about wanting to try Dread. And we will get it on a table at some point. It's just a matter of it just I, I need to get it on a table and see because Call of Cthulhu does do the sanity things very well. But I wonder if Dread does suspense better just because you get to that point where you have an, everything's riding on one piece. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. Yeah. 
Look, there are a couple of systems that, that do that whole dread type thing quite well. Um, that's one of them, um, mm-hmm. obviously. And uh, another one that does it uh, is the 2D20 system from uh, Modifius. Oh, they yeah. Some of their games, they have that, um, I'm trying to think what it's called, heat, where as you sort of progress, as you make mistakes, the uh, it adds to heat. And even Genesis does something like that as well. That um, And it's one of the themes that appears in the Expanded Player's Guide, where they talk about um, this heat mechanic, where instead of like when you roll the despair, instead of it having some sort of effect then and there, the GM can say, okay, no worries, thanks. And they'll yeah. like just hold that back. And as, the, uh, as that progresses, things sort of get worse and worse. And eventually the PCs know that something really bad is going to happen when they don't know because they don't know when the, the GM is going to trigger that. And I think that adds suspense to the table as well. That kind of goes to that uh, clock mechanic that um, Forged in the Dark games are so fond yeah. of. Yes. A version of that, I guess, in a way. Yep, absolutely. Uh, the other big thing, and this is really sort of a, a doesn't talk about system, but and I touched on it briefly there when, when it comes to Deadlands. Probably the best Call of Cthulhu game that I've ever played was we were, um, all of our characters were going to, we had to stay overnight, you know, it's that old um, trope, had to stay overnight in this particular big mansion, which was obviously haunted, which we were obviously going to die, and uh, but we still went anyway because that's what we do. But um, the way that my friend set it up, who was running it, is that he had an old shed in the back of his um, house and he cleared it all out, put in a gaming table in there, put candles around the place. And we played in this old shack in the middle of the night uh, with, um, you know, he put some spiderwebs and stuff like that up as well. And that added to the theme as things sort of were creaking because there was a tree nearby. And, and it was just creepy. Mm-hmm. And I think that if you can achieve that with, like your surroundings, your physical surroundings are in running these sorts of games. And, and there's a whole heap of stuff that, that can come into play there, whether it be music, whether it be sound effects that you can get from, you know, a plethora of places online. But you've also got um, the, the physical surroundings, how you set it up. Are you going to run the Cthulhu game by candlelight? You know, if that's, uh, if that's your thing, or if you've got dimmers, bring everything down, providing you're not sight impaired, which is great. No. Well, yeah. What's that <laughs> one game? Oh, what's it called? Ten Candles or something that you play? Ooh. I've heard of it. I, I've never yes. yeah. seen There's it. But... Ten Candles, and as things go bad, one candle gets put out, and eventually you lift it back. <laughs> yeah, and like, and I think that though that's a a thing because you know, look, we've all been around people that go, well, well, you can play anything with System X, and. You know, look, uh, Huli, and I mean, look, I've got my Genesis core book, you know, over here next to the desk. Genesis is an amazingly versatile system. And I think Genesis handles more things well than most other system engines do. And I think some of that is that it is designed very much to give a cinematic feel to things. And because film and television media is so prominent that's the way a lot of us imagine it yeah and so i think that that how do you want to say it lends itself to that system being so versatile Mm. but i think you know like the argument you'll hear all the time well there's a 5e adaptation of that (laughs) well you know to, to go to horror look i know sandy peterson wrote his call of cthulhu 5e conversion Mm-hmm. i'm not gonna buy it I have 5th edition Call of Cthulhu sitting in a box. I have Delta Green. If I want to play that game, I'm running one of those two engines. I am not running it in 5e D&D, period. (laughs) That system is not made for much other than what that setting is. And it's it's the reason why I was so, so, so upset when I heard that uh, they were doing Stargate in D20, 5e. 
And I'm mm. just going, oh, really? <laughs> that would have been perfect in Genesis. But uh, look, I'm always going to refer back to Genesis because I've said this time and time again, you know, I've played in X number of systems and I've bought a whole heap more that I probably will never, ever get to play. But, um, you know, I've flipped through them just to try to get, you know, some sort of rules or um, some sort of thematic thing out of it, whatever that is. Um, but uh, I think I'm going to retire on uh, Genesis when it comes to RPGs. And the other thing to remember with Genesis is that, you know, some people pick it up and say, oh, this, this isn't really the, the full rules. Well, no, it's not, because it's a framework. It's, lo- it's like picking up GURPS. And I've played in GURPS, and um, I've got my degree in, um, in you know, what, <laughs> algorithms or whatever, <laughs> just to be able to do characters. But there's, that's just the, the standard rules. There's other stuff that you have to look at or create yourself or buy if you want to go down the path of, you know, looking at fantasy, you'd look at uh, Realms of Terranoth. If you're looking for that cyberpunk, you'd be looking at uh, Shadow of the Beanstalk. But Genesis isn't the only game that does these sorts of things well. And it also depends on whether you're a, and as you progress through your career, uh, as, a, uh, as either a GM or as a, as a player. There are going to be games out there that have no systems at all. One of my favorite is Fiasco. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah, Fiasco's great. Dice rolling other than the dice rolling that you have to do at the, at the start and at the finish and at the end and in the middle. So, uh, you know, it's, it's just going to go down to those two things that I mentioned before. Is that The first one is familiarity with the system, and the second one is does it have rules in it that are going to cover what it is that you need to successfully run that genre or that theme? Yeah, well, I think that, like, the, as we touched on before, what tone, what things you want to emphasize, you know, like, when we talked with... Um, Sugi last week, he was talking a lot about Cortex and how it's, he's a big fan of Genesis, but he really likes Cortex too. And he said, the thing is, is that like Cortex mechanically seems to focus much more on the inter-character reactions as opposed to the characters interacting with the environment. And I thought that was, you know, like how, how some games mechanically put the focus more in different areas and depending on what kind of story you want to tell that can affect how well it works for what you want to do. Yes. I a hundred percent agree with that. In my opinion, Genesis doesn't necessarily handle social interactions as well as it should. I know that um, I think it was Chris Markham who's just put out a supplement, which deals specifically with this topic to try to address some of the issues that comes to uh, social encounters. Because social encounters are such a big thing that, you know, but if you've got, using Genesis as an example, it's got combat covered so many times over because of it's a solid system, it has a lot of talents and, and whatever else along with it. D&D is the same. It's got combat down pat. But when it comes to social interactions, it's falling down. I, I agree with him that Cortex, uh, which I have a copy of, um, it's uh, it's a great system. And if you haven't got it, go out and buy it. It's well and truly worth it. All that you need is polyhedral dice. You don't need any special dice. Um, so uh, it's, it's more accessible, I guess, that way. There's a lot, if you want to start going into the, the background of Cortex, there's a lot of other systems, a lot of other settings, sorry, that are out there that uh, you can play that in. Uh, some which are in Kickstarter, I think, as well. So, yeah. yeah, well, I believe they're also, at least according to um, JT and Kirby, there's a program akin to the the Foundry in the works. If it's not formally up yet, yep, yep. I don't don't know a lot about it, but uh, I know that it is it is on there. And if you haven't, um, I don't think you guys have had JT on the the program yet, have you? No, we not haven't. as of yet. Oh. Yeah. Uh, if you want a cortex, yeah, he's the, he's the one to have. He's great. Yeah, it's kind of on the list. <laughs> but yeah, like it just you know, like I said, I think that a lot of people lose, and and I I think the other thing is most games, again going to back to what we mentioned way way back earlier in the show, 
most games mechanically aren't nearly as complex as you think they are at first glance. No. You know, I mean, with some exceptions, you know, like you mentioned Rollmaster, um, <laughs> the, the newest version of Warhammer Fantasy is relatively complex. Right. But to a certain point, what I guess I'm trying to say is, is I don't think people should be frightened of trying a new system because it has some element that's going to add a lot to the story that you want to tell. For example, you know, like I don't know Pathfinder nearly like I know Dungeons and Dragons, other than to know that it's a close cousin to D and D 3.5. Yeah. Yeah. And my contention has always been that it is very difficult to run an effective horror game with that engine because it is entirely too difficult to make the characters feel vulnerable consistently. And so I think that if you want to run a horror game, you're going to get a better payoff if you take the time to learn some other system, be it Call of Cthulhu or something else, you know, Genesis, whatever, than trying to shoehorn it into Dungeons and Dragons or Pathfinder, which you already know, but mechanically de-emphasize the things that you kind of want emphasized for the story you're telling. True. Um, one thing on this point that um, it took me a little while to to get over, and, and I think that Keith Cappell, who is a prolific writer when it comes to stuff for FFG, and a uh, great guy as well, one of the things that uh, that he taught me is that any new rules that come out are just written by some dude or dudette. <laughs> so... You know, it's not this big magical thing. And I know as, as kids, we, we expect that, that the, you know, these RPGs are designed by these gods of gaming that we don't know because, you know, back in, in my day, and, and I'm assuming um, older Steve, you would agree with me, that um, there was no such thing as the internet when it came to looking at new stuff that was coming out. And suddenly yeah. all of a sudden it just appeared on shelves. And you just go, wow, this is like amazing. And uh, how did this come to be? But when it comes to new rules, it's just, and, and I've written rules for, for Legend of the Five Rings that some poor kid has basically picked up and gone, who did this? It's great. I wouldn't say it's great, but mm-hmm. it's, <laughs> but it's uh, these rules just appear. So I think that when we start talking about that there are systems that are going to handle what you want to do in your game better than others, those others can have rules created for them. It's just going to take a lot more work. Sure. So if you've got your head around 5th edition D&D and you know the ins and outs and you think that you can design some sort of a mechanic that is going to cover X scenario that you know is going to play a big part in your campaign, then you go right ahead make sure it's play tested first or at the very least when you uh when you're running a game for the first time just tell the players look this is something that i know that we're going to be using a lot of i've designed this i don't know whether it's going to work um is everybody okay that we just run with it and as long as you've got buy-in from the players that you can go and do whatever it is that you want to do with any system it's just going to take more work and I think what we're talking about here is the best way of finding the tools to run the game that you want without doing all the work. Would that be right? That's fair. Yeah. Yeah, I could. I can agree with that. I, I think, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> if you have more to add. No, I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think that's one of the biggest things is is I see a lot of, effort and care put into converting games to fifth edition Dungeons and Dragons. And, you know, I've, I've expressed my complaints with that system and whatever I I get it. If it's your favorite thing in the world, that's great. I'm glad that you enjoy that. My, my thing of it is, is that I think there's better systems. I think a lot of times when things are converted, unless it's hard fantasy, I think there's better systems that can do that than Dungeons and Dragons. And I get that some people just don't want to play those other systems. I understand well, that completely. But it's it's also a, a case that um, accessibility to these systems, you know, right. I will uh, I will go on about uh, uh, Genesis until the end of time, but it's not an incredibly accessible system. 
because currently it's going through a state of flux because it's gone from one company to the next. And therefore, the products aren't always available. In other words, you can't necessarily find the dice that you need to play uh, if you're in a place where you can play around the table at the moment. If you're doing it online, there are so many different tools out there that you can run with. And I know that you guys, that's how you ran the live play with Chris. Yeah. That, um, that you don't need dice. Uh, you just need a PDF of the, of the rules or a hard copy of the rules if you can find it. But, um, you know, this is where I think uh, Drive-Thru RPG comes into its own because there are so many different games which are out there. And I know that you guys with, uh, with Game of the Week that you're encouraging people to go and find uh, different games that may suit their ideas or just for something new to try. And uh, I, I think that, that that plays a big part in it for me anyway, that uh, with those uh, systems that, yes, there are going to be some systems out there that do really, really well with whatever you know, task that you need them to do. But, um, you know, if, as you say, if D&D is your thing and you don't believe that anything else should be playing, um, that everything can wrap its head around um, 5th edition, well, go ahead, you know. Just somebody may have done the work, look on Drive-Thru RPG. Um, if nobody's done the work, well, you've, um, you know, just made a rod for your own bat. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, and I'm not trying to tell someone that, oh, you're having fun the wrong way. It don't take me wrong. <laughs> but, like, you know, like, there's a point where you can dig a hole with a spoon and you can dig a hole with a shovel. Yeah. It's just a whole lot easier with a shovel. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. And that's right. And it, look, there's plenty of people out there who have done that and have made it readily available. So it's just a matter of hunting through drive through RPG to, to find whatever tools you need to run your game. Um, but uh, yeah, I agree with you. You know, I, I don't believe in reinventing the wheel. Uh, I think that uh, if it's out there, use that. <laughs> don't make more work for yourself. It's a big enough job, you know, running a game or playing in a game as it is. Don't uh, don't make things difficult for yourself. So yeah, yeah. And, and as someone who's dabbled in system design, it gets to be one of those things where you start going, "Well, I did this. Oh, now I need to do it. Now I need to. Now I need to." And pretty soon <laughs> you're like down this rabbit hole of things and. Well, I just wanted to tell this cool story about this, <laughs> you know, and, and like part of the thing, you know, with game of the week was just a, a way to, cause I think there's a lot of people out there, you know, who, who for lack of a, but just don't realize that games aside from D and D exist. Hmm. You know, yep. I was fortunate in the first game I ever played was actually West end game, star Wars. Mm. Um, Oh God. And then system so much. <laughs> I I had a roommate in college who had a copy of Rifts, right. which I fell in love with the setting, mm -hmm. and couldn't find anyone who wanted to run it. Now I know why, but I wanted to play it, so I said, "Well, okay, I'll run it." And so I ran Rifts for a couple years in college, and then I got into a fifth edition Call of Cthulhu game again, in college through, you know, assorted friends. And yep. we played a little bit of Cyberpunk 2020 and a little bit of second edition D&D &D and a little bit of this, a little bit of that. Yeah. And so for me, D&D &D was kind of the, oh, there's that game that, well, when we all get together and what are we going to play, everyone knows how to play it. Where I see a lot of people now that, that come in, it is, you mean there's role-playing games that aren't D&D? &D? <laughs> Look, I think that goes down to how they've been exposed to, to role-playing games in the first place. Uh, you know, if they've started their gaming career at a store, which was not something that uh, we had the advantage of back in the day, that uh, the, for us in Australia, most people who learned that there was things other than the game that they're currently playing uh, was through a catalogue that we used to get in the mail it was free, and it was from a place called Military Simulations. And it listed every single board game, every single role-playing game, every single miniatures game that, uh, that you could, you know, that existed. So when it comes to the accessibility, that it's, uh, if they've been at a store, they're going to know that there's other RPGs. But if 
it's just a case that I, I when I first started, I started on Top Secret, not SI, the original Top Secret. Hmm. Uh, I didn't even start with D&D. I didn't know that D&D existed. Um, but as soon as my friend told me that there was this, there's this game that you can play make-believe and it's just rules and he gave me the whole concept of what role-playing games about, um, then I sort of fell in love with the idea because I'd been playing with Star Wars figures and whatever else, My because I'm an only child. So I'd been playing with Star Wars figures in the head for ages about big stories and, and whatever else. So when it came to actually putting sort of some sort of mechanics behind it so you could tell really great stories with a group of people, that that fascinated me. Now, I didn't know that anything else other than Top Secret existed until such time as there was a form in the, in the back of the, the Top Secret box set that um, said, you know, send here if you want to know more about other role-playing games. Other role-playing games? What's that? Uh, <laughs> And that's when we got introduced to D&D and, and things like that as well. So, you know, it's there are going to be people out there, yes, I 100% agree, that are not going to be exposed to anything else other than D&D. And if you look at podcasts and if you look at uh, the likes of uh, Critical Role, you would think that in the role-playing scene that that's all there is. But you hope that, and I kind of wish that that they would promote a little bit more about other RPGs to help people along with their careers. But I know that uh, that they are well looked after by Wizards of the Coast, so they may have some contractual arrangements there. I think with them in particular, you're starting to see them promote other games. I mean, they've played uh, recently played a. a non D diablo game they played a doom game a while ago they played um deadlands a while ago as well yeah. um yeah. which is which is good steps i mean that's nice to have well they've yeah. also started their own publishing company right have they yes <laughs> darrington <laughs> press i believe it's called oh that's cool and you know i i for me speaking a little bit to when i started playing i knew of dungeons and dragons I knew of that and I started going to a local gaming store and the local gaming store I went to only sold Dungeons and Dragons. Steve knows this. It's, it was more of a card or miniature store at the time than it was focused on RPGs. And really the only thing they had was Dungeons and Dragons. And then as I played that, I'm like, well, there's gotta be more than just this. <laughs> <laughs> like the, and has always been an, uh, a, a gateway drug. Let's let's face it. Yeah, uh, I, I I agree with that. It's uh, you know play. It's it's promoted that all that you need is player's handbook and your right to play and a set of dice and your right to play. Based on your comments from a couple of episodes ago, I would agree with what you said that um, that's if you're a player. But if you're a GM, that's a different story. Yeah, that's yeah. Uh, we have a whole hey, go back a couple episodes, you'll find a whole episode of a rant <laughs> on that. <laughs> uh, it, it's true that it goes down to the accessibility, and a lot of the smaller publishers, and we're talking about people who aren't Modiphius, aren't uh, Wizards of the Coast, aren't FFG, or aren't even Edge, uh, that there's going to be those niche games that are absolutely fantastic. But a lot of the time, people are only going to find them through osmosis because mm -hmm. somebody else in their gaming group has decided that they wanted to pick up that game. So, but, uh, but I guess if this is the first time that you're ever listening to a podcast, I want to know how you found it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but if this is the first time that you're listening to a podcast about role-playing games, go out and search just role-playing game, not Dungeons and Dragons. And you will find a whole plethora out there that, um, you know, that may suit uh, your needs. And, you know, I'm always going to, as I said before, I'm always going to point people towards Genesis. But there's still a lot of genres that I don't think it would cover very well. Um, you know, it's very much a, uh, a, a film uh, blockbuster sort of feel to it because it's based off star wars you know it's um things didn't sort of oh unless we're talking about episode one um <laughs> but things happen really faster pace uh and that's what you want uh if that's what 
suits your theme, if you want action and adventure, then a game like Genesis is something that you can certainly grab onto. But if you're looking for more sort of social interactions and stuff like that, uh, before the show, we were talking about Good Society, which is um, a uh, an RPG which has been uh, designed by two fantastic and talented uh, writers and artists from Australia. And uh, it's all about social interactions. So, uh, so yeah, there, there's something that covers everything. But don't limit yourself in any way to to just the one system that you're familiar with. Yeah. I mean, I've found more games, even some of them just, you know, fan-written creations. You know, go to Google, type in whatever RPG, you know, be it, you know, I don't know, um, you know, Manifest, the TV series. You might Ooh. find something. You never know. <laughs> type in Matrix RPG. There's a, a fan-made Matrix RPG out there. It's been out there for years. I downloaded it a while ago. I still have yet to read it, but, you know. I have a lot of games like that, <laughs> but like, seriously, you know, like you said, Google it, Google, you know, put in whatever it is and the letters RPG and you'd be surprised what you can turn up. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. Just whatever theme you want, whether it's superheroes or whether you want, um, uh, you know, and that's, that's an entire show topic of, uh, on gosh, yes. superheroes, RPGs. <laughs> There's so many of them. It's not funny, but, uh, you know, whatever theme or trope that you're going for and RPG at the end of that. And yeah, you'll find something. There'll be something out there mm -hmm. that it's going to potentially, it may not handle everything because, you know, there are just as many fantastic games out there. There's some really terrible ones out there too. Uh, let's not forget that. But there's certainly going to be the elements that you're looking for to run a particular game. There's certainly going to be uh, a game out there for you, for sure. Mm -hmm. Agreed. Agreed completely. Well, you know what time I think it is? Yeah, I, th I think it's that time. Game of the week. Game of the week. Game of the week. All right. So who who's going first this week? Um, go for it, Huli. Yeah. <laughs> You got this. <laughs> All right. So my game of the week is something that isn't available on Drive Through RPG. It is one of my favorite RPGs uh, that I've ever played, and I've only played it three or four times. But it is the Marvel Superheroes Saga Edition. Now, this was one that uh, originally there was, I think it was called Birthright, D&D Birthright, where there was a game, uh, it was under this saga system, which uses a set of cards to uh, to play the game. Uh, the Marvel Superheroes did something exactly the same. There was a few books that came out as a result. Um, and they really took the, the notion of if you want to create a superhero, you can. But for the most part, here are all the stats of all of the superheroes that come from the uh, the Marvel the Marvel universe, and uh, it's uh, it's a very simple game. Uh, it's uh, it plays really quickly. Uh, you can even generate characters if you want to really quickly as well, just by uh, uh, choosing some cards. And um, yeah, you can have a lot of fun with people around the table. And it's another example of a game that is very systems light, but um, you can do some really crazy things with it. And, uh, you know, it, it's more about those super heroic moments that you really can't explain with any rules um, <laughs> that, uh, that um, you know, you just use the cards. And it's really, really good. It's hard to get a hold of. Uh, I know that there are some other ways that you can, uh, which I'm, I'm not going to promote, but uh, places like Noble Knight Games, for example, you can uh, sometimes get a copy or at least if one comes in, if it's not available, because they list all games and they just say that it's it's not currently available, but you can get a notification if somebody comes in because people send their secondhand games to them all the time. Yeah. Uh, you can get that notification that somebody's come in and you can buy it. Sometimes it's a little bit expensive. If you do it on eBay, it goes upwards of $150, $200. That's ridiculous. Don't pay that. But, uh, you know, the guys at uh, Noble Knight, for example, do, uh, do a good deal on them. So, uh, yeah, that's my game of the week, and it's great. Yeah, cool. Very cool. I think I'm going to go next. Okay. Um, I'm shouting out a game that's not quite out yet, and that's – not something we normally do. However, 
when we were talking about Modifius and talking about that 2D20 system, I went to their website to look at the mm -hmm. 2D20 system a little bit more, and mm -hmm. I had completely forgotten that they were producing the Dune RPG. <laughs> and that is set to come out. Uh, they say Modifius says April. Amazon says May 14th is when the physical copy will be out there. I love Dune as the, the Frank Herbert sci-fi Dune novel um, and, and having a role-playing game from a publisher like Modifius to play in that world is something that I am 100% down for. Mm. Um, so that I'm excited for that. That's going to hit store shelves soon. And, and that's definitely going to be in my hands soon because that's a game that I'm always down for. Um, and it's a world that I just love playing in. Like, I just love the ideas of that world. The 2D20 system is a really good system, can I just say. Um, it is another one that's designed by... Jay Little? Uh, uh, Was it Jay Little? Jay Little. I almost said Stuart Little then. Um, and he'd <laughs> uh, probably kill me for that. But, um, yeah, Jay designed the uh, the Star Wars slash Genesis system, uh, and he was the one behind the, the 2D20 system. And it's really, really good for a system that doesn't require special dice. It's great. So, uh, yeah, it's uh, I'm familiar with the Star Trek and Conan uh, 2D20 games, uh, mm -hmm. but uh, I've also seen Infinity as well, and the quality of their, their product is insane. So is the price that you pay for the books. But, but that's another issue. Uh, but no, I agree with you. That's uh, that's awesome. Got any more on that, Steve? No, that's what I got. What do you got? Well, I was going to spotlight something. I actually got an email from uh, the proprietor of one of our local gaming shops about this the other day. And I got the chance to, to actually flip through it a little bit uh, when I was at the store yesterday when I picked up Cyberpunk Red. And it's not something I don't know that it's in my alley necessarily, but it sounds really interesting and I don't know of anything else that does it. So I wanted to bring it up. It's a game called Lex Arcana. And what this is, um, let's call it Roman empire alt history mixed with fantasy. Mm. Um, it's like it's effectively Rome never overexpanded and then crumbled. It actually consolidated and be, you know, like stayed a thing. And they tie a lot of fantasy elements into it and whatnot. So like I said, I guess the best way to describe it would be fantasy alt history Rome. Um, but like I said, this is called uh, Lex Arcana. Actually, as we're speaking, the PDF is on sale on drive-thru for just under 17 bucks. There's also a free quick start, which I downloaded because I want to take a look at it just to see what it's about, mm -hmm. you know, as far as the system and so forth. But, you know, I thought it was one of those things that it's it's a very specific genre. And I would think if, if you wanted to play in this genre to set it up in any other, any other system would probably be a lot of work and here someone's already done it. And the other thing that I found out about this is apparently it is in its second edition in English, but apparently this has been a game for a number of years in Italy and it's just more recently been translated into English. So it's not actually as new as we think it is. That sounds so cool. <laughs> I love Roman times. Um, I think that, yeah, that would be amazing. I'm going to go and check that out. <laughs> Thanks, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> They've got a, a free quick start. You can, well, technically it's pay what you want, uh, yep. but the quick start. And like I said, then there's a bunch of source books and stuff out for it. But uh, yeah, I, like I said, I don't know anything about it mechanically and, and so forth. But, but like I said, that's a, a special enough genre that I think, you know, it, it fits with Ooh. what we were talking about tonight. Absolutely. Yeah. That sounds really, really good. So, uh, yeah, I think with that, we want to thank you for being on. Yes. Thank oh, you for coming on to our show. Fun. And it's been a blast. Yeah, it has been a blast. <laughs> and, um, we do want to remind everyone to be kind to each other and get out there and play some RPGs. Intro and outro music by the band 12 Noon. You can email us at meandsteverpg at gmail.com. You can also find us at facebook.com slash meandsteverpg. Thank you and be kind to each other. How much for the cigar? Cigar, 20 bucks, dog. You got to go down the street to the store and buy that.
Um, and uh, yes, yeah, so I'm ready to go. You you just point me in the direction and I'll talk forever. Oh, you have been hanging around Chris too long, haven't you? <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. Uh, That's the reason why we do four-hour podcasts. Uh, <laughs> we can talk. <laughs> because this is going to be a little bit of a podcast, so I'll be right back. <laughs> <laughs>